Hey everyone, and welcome to the Wanna Puff Podcast, your trusted source for all things cannabis in the Canadian retail market. I'm Steve, and I'm happy to be joined today by my co-host Alex for today's episode on growing the cannabis plant, seed to sale. But first, let's talk about BudFest. Coming to Calgary September 8th is BudFest, presented by HempFest and the Budtenders Association. This is a great place for networking, with games, food, and even a consumption area. To learn more, go to budfest.info. So back to today's episode, growing the cannabis plant seed to sale. Um, so I think a great place to start is uh, is what we've seen on some packaging. We had discussed in our previous episode with Trevor uh, the Organicraft packaging and, and how they list things like the the grow, the the dry, the cure, the trim. Um, so a lot of those details will be what we're talking about today. Yeah, I think that information is really important, especially for people that are like really into cannabis and want to learn more about it. I think that having that information readily available is one of the best ways to spread that level of education. So um, Organicraft, starting with that by putting that on their packaging, I think is a great foot in the door and like a great place for consumers to start. Yeah, knowing what what features differentiate the different brands and, and um, what makes the cannabis quality cannabis or what makes it value cannabis um, definitely helps educate consumers, which is uh, a great, like you said, a great place to start. Yeah, because it's, it's the whole process that makes a difference from the very, very beginning stages all the way up to that like moment when it's packaged. Every stage within there is going to have a different effect on that, that flower and is going to change the way that it's going to smoke and the way that it's going to retain moisture and the quality of that bud overall. Um, so I think it's important for consumers to know about the different steps when it comes to growing and harvesting and curing and all that fun stuff. And speaking of the uh, the beginning stages, uh, so so the first stages of, of growing a cannabis plant are, are germination, uh, and it, which is going to bring you to the point of of, of, of a seedling, um, and then that leads into the to the vegetation um, portion of growth. Uh, so the the germination that's that's just the seed, um, and and you're just adding moisture and and uh, giving it. Uh, uh, the, the perfect conditions for that seed to crack open and, and for the first root to uh, to appear. Yeah, I think on average, it takes about one to two weeks for that germinating stage to complete. Um, so yeah, like you said, you're just kind of waiting for the root to pop. And then you move on to that seedling stage. So that's when you're going to see it kind of start to grow. That's going to be like another two to four weeks ish before you're able to get to the stage where the plant actually kind of starts to show some characteristics of its particular strain. Um, so it's kind of interesting that you have to you have to get to that vegetative stage before you even kind of get to see what's you know, what's growing. Obviously most growers are going to know what seeds they have that are growing. But, um, at that point that vegetative stage is when the plants are going to get repotted into the medium that they're going to stay in while they're turning into these big, beautiful cannabis plants. And, and I imagine the features you're, you're speaking of are, are sativa indica hybrid, um, or male or female. If you're growing from seed, uh, you could potentially be growing a male and, um, that, that's not going to be the, the cannabis you're looking to grow unless you're looking to, uh, use genetics to, to look for a specific type of strain and, and grow a specific type of strain. If you're not breeding cannabis, if you're growing for smoking, uh, you're, you're looking for female plants, um, but yeah, indica sativa hybrid would, I imagine, be the other features you were uh, you're looking to identify in that stage. 
Yeah. So like as we talked about in um, one of our previous episodes, I think it was the terpene episode, actually, uh, we kind of talked about how the plants show their different characteristics. So, you know, sativas are those lighter, longer, thinner, um, and they have like a longer flowering time as well. Uh, Those originated from the more like temperate areas of the globe, a little closer to the equator. Uh, You've got indicas, which are that deeper color, the wider, broad looking leaves. Um, They actually originated from the more like mountainous, harsher growing conditions, which I think is really interesting. Um, I think that's something that the growers obviously have to take into consideration when they're growing these different strains is they want to obviously create the best conditions possible for that plant. Um, they also have a shorter flowering time than their sativa counterparts, which is really interesting. Um, indicas take like six to eight weeks on average and sativas can take up to like three months. Yeah. I think that's why we saw so much more variety in indica products in the market in the beginning. Um, whereas sativa products, you know, when you're really trying to dial in the perfect conditions for growing and you have to grow a plant for three months in order to, to figure out if you're doing it right, it's a lot easier to do that with indicas than I think it would be with sativas. Yeah, and another little like kind of fun fact um, is the the ruderalis plant, which a lot of people don't know about because it's got no psychoactive effect whatsoever. Um, they're super stocky in nature. They're able to grow in really harsh climates, but they're what actually is usually used to produce hemp because they don't have any psychoactive uh, qualities to them. Um, so the ruderalis plant that grows is what is normally used to produce hemp. So you won't really see those in any grow rooms, but kind of interesting to know that those exist as well. Yeah, definitely. It's not really talked about. And even for people who consume regularly, who know a lot about cannabis, it's often like back of mind, uh, the ruderalis plant, because we we only think indica sativa hybrid. Um, We don't we don't often even consider that. Um, so we were talking about the, the conditions and, and, and dialing in the conditions for uh, different indica strains and, and sativa strains. Um, so that kind of brings us into the to the growing different growing types. So some producers are using an indoor grow, others are using an outdoor grow, and others are using hybrid greenhouses or greenhouses to grow. Uh, the first one I think we'll talk about is indoor. Indoor is most often used for more premium cannabis. Uh, it's more expensive and... Uh, yeah, it just gives you more control over the over the environment that uh, that the cannabis is growing in. Yeah, the, the 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 light, water, nutrients, and humidity levels are so precisely controlled in those grow rooms. You know, everything's on timers. They've got the temperature, you know, dialed into the exact degree that it needs to be. They are constantly flushing those plants and monitoring, um, you know, what's coming out of them so they can, you know. Uh, adjust the the soil combination that they've got or adjust the light or give that plant exactly what it needs to be its absolute best. Um, I don't think a lot of consumers realize how much precision goes into growing like a really nice strain. Yeah, that indoor environment where, you know, the small details really matter. Um, If you're not if you're not doing uh, the, the right humidity in the room, you're going to get mold and, and you're going to get um, cannabis that's going to have uh, uh, bad flavors based on that. If you have uh, uh, too much light in the environment, that's going to affect the plants. Um, they're, they're, they're not going to grow properly or, or, uh, or they, they maybe are going to die before they get to that, ideal, uh, to that ideal height that you're looking for inside of the grow rooms. So it's really knowing what, what the strain looks for um, and then providing that in the indoor environment which they can do uh, but but it is difficult 
Yeah. And, you know, we've both had the privilege of being in some of those massive grow rooms and, you know, it's different colors of light, different spectrums of light, you know, different periods of time. It's, it's insane how, like how much of a science it is to get these plants to grow and obviously give the output that they need to be able to provide to mass consumers. But I think it's just fascinating. And being inside one of those grow rooms is like being in the best jungle that you've ever been in in your entire life. <laughs> yeah, and the different aromas you get in those grow rooms um, because everything is contained. And so as soon as you open up the doors, that, that light uh, that beams out and, uh, and then the aroma just hits you. Um, it, gotta love the grow rooms on the indoor grows. Um, so something else that, uh, that's, that kind of differentiates between uh, those indoor grows is uh, the, the nutrients that they use. So some of them are organic. Some of them are, uh, are using some of the more harsher uh, chemicals. But Health Canada, of course, limits what these brands can use. Uh, so you know that you are getting a product that uh, that Health Canada would deem safe to consume based on uh, the nutrients that are available in the market. Obviously, the more craft producers are are taking a more careful approach towards their plants. They're the ones that are often growing in living soil and using natural um, pests and insects to, or natural insects to get rid of pests. And the really large scale um, ones is what kind of where you find them, you know, kind of cutting those corners a little bit. Uh, I know that for um, organic producers, they really don't like to use rock wool because it's not reusable, it's not recyclable. Um, and that's where living soil comes into play as a really, really nice growing medium for those organic growers. Um, so speaking of, of living soil and, and the organic growers, and another growing type that uh, that we've seen with uh, Simply Bear, which is which is a, a really popular uh, organic grower, is a hybrid greenhouse. So alternative to to the indoor grow, um, growing in a hybrid greenhouse is, is a is a greenhouse where they, they are going to have access to lights. Um, they are going to have access to uh, different nutrients or um, different grow mediums, but uh, they they do use the the power of the sun, or they they say they harness the power of the sun to. Uh, to make sure that the, the plant gets the the, the proper, uh, the, the lights that it needs there. A company I really like is Good Buds. We actually just had like a product knowledge session with them not too long ago and they do both. So they have indoor grow and outdoor grow, which is really interesting because obviously they're getting two different kind of um, flower there by doing the outdoor natural growing in the natural conditions. And then also the indoor grow is where they're able to kind of produce some of that more craft stuff that's really been dialed into those conditions that it needs. I think it's really interesting that they do that. I think it's really interesting that they have both. I mean, I think that kind of gives them a little bit of a leg up that they, they haven't just focused on one, you know, they're located in BC, so they've got beautiful climate out there. But I just think it's really interesting that they're, they're utilizing all of their resources and, and doing both. Yeah, I know that um, color cannabis grows outdoor as well. Um, so, so that's, I mean, you, you take a lot more risks growing outdoor than you do growing indoor or uh, as a, in a hybrid greenhouse or a greenhouse. Um, the outdoor grow is definitely the most, the, the lowest cost, highest risk because mm -hmm. um, pests, weather, um, and you're, you're, you're limited to the season. You're, you're not going to be able to, uh, to put in the shades to, um, to force flower, um, with your plants. Whereas if you have a hybrid greenhouse, a greenhouse or an indoor grow, then you're able to 
shorten the flowering time and, and be able to grow multiple crops over a season. Um, I, I wasn't able to, to tune in for the good buds um, uh, session there, um, but do you know if they're growing in a, in a greenhouse or are they growing outdoors as well as indoors? Both. So they have a green, I, from what I gathered anyway, they have like indoor grow rooms and then they also have their whole outdoor field of cannabis as well. So they've got literally a combination of indoor well controlled grow and that outdoor more natural grow okay okay um now i know a lot of producers that are doing uh outdoor grows use that as almost like a biomass um, because you're not able to to get the bud structure um that, that you can indoors you're, you're not able to uh to um to force seasons but you can get good yield based on you know the the amount of field that you have and then you can use that to produce concentrates edibles beverages um so all of those things that are extract um based a lot of those are uh, are coming from outdoor grows yeah the buds are definitely not as pretty coming from an outdoor grow uh i remember earlier earlier on in legalization we had a couple companies that did solely outdoor grow and i remember when we would sell it to consumers be like just so you know this is outdoor weed so it's gonna look a little sketchy but i promise you it's really good <laughs> yeah it's just a little bit more fluffy you'd yeah. say it doesn't have the same a lot of times it doesn't have the same density as you get when you're using um like hydroponic system in, indoor using different lights indoors in order to uh in order to get the flower to uh to express different colors or uh to to have that uh that density that, that you i think you just get for for hybrid greenhouses greenhouses and indoors yeah, so once you've, you know, dialed in those conditions and you've got your your plants growing and thriving, the flowering stage is going to occur when the amount of light the plant has been exposed to decreases to less than 12 hours. So in nature, when summer turns to fall, it naturally gets darker. That's when the buds are going to start to develop and those trichomes are going to form. And they have to monitor the plants really closely to determine when they're at their full potency for harvesting. Um, I think that's really interesting as well. So when harvesting happens, you know, they're going to trim 12 to 16 inches ish of that plant. And there's a couple different drying um, methods that uh, companies use, like hang drying and rack and tray drying. Obviously, I'm partial to hang drying. I think it just preserves the bud structure a lot better. Um, I think you get a better product overall when you're doing a hang, hang dry rather than a rack dry. See, and I'm more... I pay a lot more attention to the cure than I do to the dry. Mm. And I pay a lot more attention to the trim too. Like I don't want machine trim. Cause yeah. I think yeah. that it's almost like saying like we, we dry sifted your weed and yeah. took away the, <laughs> the hash and like, here's what's left yeah. uh, when they, when they machine trim. Um, now I'm okay with them doing, you know, like the, the machine trim and then hand manicure like a, ma it a machine seems... buck and then they do the hand manicure before it goes in the bottle kind of thing yeah because i think that that still preserves the majority of the the flower and, and you're not losing a lot of the crystal off of the flower but if it's just machine trimmed i think you know it's awfully it's often fairly beat up by the time that you get it and then the same with the cure i think the cure is just so important um when it comes to the dry i i, I want them to make sure that they're um, paying attention to the moisture content of the cannabis and not just thinking, you know, oh, well, we dry our cannabis for this number of days every time, you know, knowing what the moisture content is of the of the crop that you've just pulled um, and, and making sure that you've hit the right moisture content before you go into the curing process, I think is more important than um, just a standard dry. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. And I mean, when I think about 
trimming and, you know, we'll talk about trimming a little bit more too, but I, when I think about it, I'm just assuming that a bunch of those beautiful, tasty trichomes have been knocked off in that process as well, right? I mean, if you're trimming the bud via machine, you're not being careful with it. Yeah, I mean, inevitably the product's going to gonna suffer a little bit because of that. Um, so, you know, how long the cannabis needs to dry is really dependent on the moisture of it when it's harvested. Um, and this is just a little like side note of information that I think is really interesting. So the stigmas and pistils of the cannabis plant are those like hair-like strands that you're seeing on, as we've talked about before, those like really close up macro pictures of cannabis. And those are actually like the pollen collectors of the plant. So they start off as white. Um, I remember when we were in the grow room doing a tour, they just look like these big, juicy white strands on the end of these plants. The very, very top bud is just so it's just gorgeous. Like I was just in awe. I swear it's like an art form almost. These massive cannabis buds I just think are so, so cool. Um, but as they start to mature, they will go yellow, red, brown, and that's where you're going to kind of get a little bit of variation um, in like some of the colors that are within the bud as well as what color those pistols kind of turn into. But they're really only there for reproductive purposes. And I actually didn't know that. So I, I taught myself something while I was doing research for this episode. <laughs> That's awesome. I always feel like um, I either learn something in the research process or I learn something during the episode, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, because it's just always the, you know, the topics that we're going over in, in season one. So the first 10 episodes of our, uh, of the podcast here um, are really foundational concepts. And so um, you, you feel like you really know a lot about it. And then you're like, wow, is there ever so much more to find out? Or is there ever so much more that's available now that, that wasn't available, you know, when I was, um, you know, looking at this before. Uh, so the beautiful thing about legalization is all this research, right? All of these things that we're learning about this that we weren't able to before because it was considered an illicit substance. So all of this information for me, I'm like I said before, I'm, t- I'm a total weed nerd. So I love this shit. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to harvesting. Uh, so when they're drying, if it's not controlled precisely they really have to control the temperature and humidity of those rooms if it's not precisely controlled those terpenes can start to degrade and as we've mentioned before those terpenes are the the beautiful music of that cannabis plant yeah thc is what um, most people are seeing on the package but um, the quality of the cannabis is going to be in that in that terpene content um, uh, which is really preserved preserved during the dry and, and, and during the cure um, the next stage is, is can be trimming, uh, or can be, um, or you can trim before you dry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, trimming is, is also, uh, like, like we were talking about before, just, just really important when it comes to the end product. Uh, if you, if you're knocking off all those crystals, if, if you're really, uh, beating up the cannabis plant before it gets into the consumer's hands, uh, you can really ruin the, the, the effort you put in during the dry and during the cure. And if you're leaving a ton of leaves on there, if you're leaving a big stem in there, that doesn't look good when a consumer opens their package. They don't want to see that, you know, a portion of the weight of their flower was just this big honking stem. So I think trimming is a really important part of the process personally. Um, I know some companies will also do the trimming after the bud has been cured because they like those like bottom fan leaves to really kind of create a like little safety blanket around the bud. Um, so trimming can really happen at any stage between, you know, when it's drying and, and after it's been cured. Um, I think that's just kind of up to the grower and what 
they kind of want the look of that bud to be. Um, obviously, like we said, partial to hand trim over machine trim. Um, you're just going to get nicer, more well manicured buds when you do a hand trim. It's just like anything else. Doing it by hand is always going to be better. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then curing. Um, so once cannabis has been uh, has been dried, uh, the, the the most important step is is curing, and that's where you're gonna uh, maintain flavor and, and quality of the flower. Um, so some producers talk about the, the the length of time they use for their cure, um, but again, I I think that just like the drying process, I think it's really a matter of going in and looking at, you know, where's the crop at when we start the drying process? Um, what is the moisture content? Uh, what, what strain is this? And, and, and what, what can we expect from this strain and during the drying process? And, um, what does, what does that call for in a cure? Curing cannabis is how you're going to make that cannabis stable and, and have a longer shelf life. So yeah. when you put it into the package that ends up in the consumer's hands, if they don't get it, um, often they're not going to have it in the first, you know, 30 days because it has to be sold to the wholesaler, which is the province and has to be brought to their distribution center then sold to the store and brought to them and then, you know, put into inventory and, and then sold to you as a consumer. So uh, you won't get it depending on what province you're in for uh, at least 30 days. Uh, so that already gives take 30 days off your shelf life from package date, um, which makes it really difficult if you're not curing properly to get your customer the best product available. Definitely. I mean, it's and there, there's guidelines, obviously, for, you know, these different strains and how long they need to be cured for. But that's why you have these master growers with, you know, working for these companies because it's their job to know when these plants are ready and to know when they've cured for long enough. And um, I, I really like that the containers get burped. I think that's so funny. I don't know why, but the thought of like all of these barrels of barrels and barrels of weed just getting burped every day I think is so funny um let's explain what that means a little bit <laughs> while I laugh about that <laughs> yeah so they uh they're they're like exchanging the air in the in the container um so there's uh the the chlorophylls in the cannabis plant um are are decaying in in, in that uh uh I believe breaks down the sugars in, inside of the cannabis flower um and that and that cr- it, it displaces the oxygen within the uh, within the barrel. Um, so what they have to do is they have to open the barrel, um, you know, shake it around, move that air, bring in new oxygen, and then close it back up and seal it for it to continue to cure. And they're going to do that daily um, for a number of days after the drying process has been completed. Yeah, for days and weeks, they are going to be consistently doing that every single day and, you know, rotating, obviously stirring up all the buds that are in those barrels so that, you know, the buds at the top are not the only ones getting that fresh air you know they're going to rotate everything in there so curing is a really really important process and I think that when companies cut corners on the curing and they don't do it for as long as the plant needs to that's where you're really going to see that product suffer um I think that curing is something that companies I mean I know that craft growers really focus on is is their cure um it's it's a really important step because you know that's the step that you get before like you said before it gets packaged and um you know, there's different packaging methods, you know, whether that's done by machine or by hand and, you know, what kind of packaging they're using. If they're using humidity packs, like you said, you knock 30 days off the shelf life from when you're actually getting the product and when it was packaged. 
Um, so if it's not cured properly, if it's not, if it doesn't have a good moisture content, you're going to crack that jar open and there's not going to be much of an aroma to it. It's going to be dry. You're going to see all of those trichomes and stuff all over the inside of the packaging. You know, I'm partial to glass packaging because it pre- preserves the terpenes better. Um, Bovita packs or any kind of humidity pack is also really important in my opinion, especially because of how long the products have to sit in a warehouse for. You need those moisture packs. Some companies also do um, the like nitrogen, I think it is. They like put nitrogen in the... Like a bag the, of chips. Yeah, like yeah. a bag of chips. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, some of them will do that in a tuna can. Some of them will do it in a bag. But that too, I have found, makes a huge difference. Yeah, Muskoka grown comes to mind for those tuna cans with the uh, the, the nitrogen infusion. Mood Ring, uh, I think, does it too. Mood Ring, um, color cannabis with the bags. They have big puffy bags with their uh, nitrogen infusion, which, I mean, it's in a bag. I prefer it not to be in a bag, but with it having that... Um, puffiness to it it does protect the integrity of the cannabis in there so yeah I um, will say that like for it being in a bag because it does have that nitrogen like you said it does kind of protect the buds a little bit and I remember the first time I ever bought an eighth from color cannabis and I was shaking it up and I was like this doesn't sound like it's gonna be good I mean you've got this massive inflated bag and these little three and a half gram nugs in there and I opened it and I was shocked because the buds were actually so, so nice and the moisture content on them was awesome. And I was just like, okay, I will buy from color again. Like, yeah, they might be using bags, but they are a less expensive brand. And I think that if they're going to do it in bags, they're doing it right. The quality of their Pedro Sweet Sativa, like I don't buy value product. I, I, um, I'm chasing, you know, high terpene cannabis. I'm, I'm chasing cannabis strains that are uh, hard to find or uh, the, the brands that are um, new releases in the province. Uh, since we are um, now more often one of the last provinces to see these new brands. Um, but color cannabis, uh, yeah, even even in the beginning, that Pedro Sweet Sativa was uh, really a home run for them. And in, in that price range, they, they really differentiated their product with a different color on packaging as well. And they, they list terpenes. You know, we started the conversation today talking about Organogram and what they list on their packaging. The fact that color cannabis lists their terpenes on their package is, is fantastic. Um, so the packaging really does make a difference. It really does allow you to communicate with your consumer um, what differentiates you from your competitor. Um, and, and your customer notices the packaging and, and it stands out. Yeah. And when you've got excess packaging, your customers are going to notice that as well. When you have companies like Ogin, for example, that are packaging in these Calyx containers, they're you know airtight, they can be resealed again, and they're so small that the buds have no room to shake around in those containers. So you've got no risk of you know the trichomes and stuff falling off because they're not bouncing around off the walls of these containers. But then you've got other companies that have massive containers inside other boxes or containers inside bags. And it's just like, at this point in the game, there's no need for that excess packaging. No, exactly. In the beginning where there was kind of uncertainty about what you know portion of your label was allowed to be your brand and what portion had to be Health Canada and, and how you could... Um, operate within those boundaries um, but everybody knows now I mean you can see what your competition's doing and and now it's a matter of making sure that the product makes it in the consumer's hands and that you have a good reputation based on that um, and, and like you say that excess packaging is uh, it's not only wasteful but uh, it doesn't preserve preserve the cannabis by any means not at all and you see even massive ba- like ounce bags that only have a half ounce in them and I'm just like just 
order a smaller bag for these or something. Um, But for the companies that do have the really small packaging, you know, like I said, I'm thinking of Ojin again, they might not have the room to put all of that information on there. But I remember the point you made one of our past episodes where you mentioned like a QR code, something for the consumer to see, to be like, oh, you want to know how this was grown? You want to know where it was grown? You want to know how long it took to grow? What went into this? Scan this and here's all your information. We need to be making this accessible for people. It's the only way that we're going to be able to really get education to mass consumers. Yeah, um, it's interesting you mentioned the QR code thing. Uh, I just recently purchased something from Growtown. When you go onto their website, you can do a lot search. So you type in your lot and it tells you genius. all the information from the Genius. Um, so it, it's it's available. It's not something that's not um, being done. It's, it's just a matter of kind of uh, getting one way of doing it and getting all the brands on board. You don't want to have to reteach your consumer, um, every consumer for, for you know, what your brand does. You want it to be a... a industry standard and that way um, everybody knows that's how you communicate with a customer yeah Um, because you're also looking for that information too right like you're searching for that so if someone doesn't know what to look for like they probably wouldn't even think about going on the company's website and doing a lot search. they probably be like what is a lot (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly um so before we were talking about uh curing and we were talking about the uh the different packaging i i feel bad because i don't remember what brand it was but i saw something online where there's a a company that's coming out with packaging that's supposed to continue curing during that process interesting Um, so they believe that they can um almost like the bovita or the humidity pack through the packaging itself um so make sure that the humidity stays proper for the cannabis um in, in that way i'm interested to see how that works and if that if that changes things in the industry i think it has the potential to be a game changer but it also has the potential to kind of not work out the way they want it to because if it yeah. doesn't and the flower doesn't cure properly before it gets into the hand of a consumer well then you've got a whole other problem <laughs> um that's really really interesting though and i i find that companies are adapting it might be a slow process but companies are adapting they're figuring out what's working what's not working how they can make themselves better how they can make themselves stand out and i think that talking about what you're doing differently when it comes to how you're caring for and growing your plant is a great way to set yourself apart in this ever-changing industry. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, uh, packaging is is not only the the you know the the cover when it comes to like your your brand or, or your product and, and the first thing that your customer sees, um, but it, it is it is a great way to communicate with your customer. It's a great way to really differentiate what you offer um, and then allow your your consumer to make those connections and and and, and tell your story of of why your product is as good as it is or, or why your customer is getting the value out of the product that, that you claim that they're getting. Yeah. I just need companies to stop putting pre-rolls in bags. That's all I care about. At that point, we can cross that line first. Let's just address that problem. We can work on the rest of it after. <laughs> yeah. The pre-rolls need to stop with the pre-rolls in the bags. It's two flat sides. Two it doesn't look good. Sides. It's bad. Um, so I think that just about wraps it up for uh, for today's episode. So thank you, Alex, for for joining me for today's episode, and and thank you all for tuning in. It was great to discuss the uh, the topic of growing cannabis, the plant from seed to sale. Yeah, looking forward to our next episode, and yeah, happy as as I say every time, always happy to talk about weeds. So 
This is so much fun. And thank you so much to everyone that listens every week, every, well, every week that we get an episode out anyway. <laughs> um, it's really appreciated and it's, it's definitely a motivator for us. Yeah, we uh, we appreciate the audience. We uh, we look forward to uh, to building the the podcast in, in the the Wanna Puff brand, and uh, we appreciate all of you for tuning in. And remember, if you're enjoying the Wanna Puff podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on Spotify, Apple Music, and Instagram. Because what else would you want to do? <laughs> <laughs>